Glad you're here. So, uh, our message is going to come out of John, the 11th chapter, verses 20 through 27. But I'm going to start out with a story that's actually not from the Bible. Now, January 8th, 1956, is not the date that most people are going to recognize right on hand. But it is nonetheless one we might want to remember. That morning, five missionaries were waiting to, for a, you might say, a meeting to start. It would end up being their last. The Waldani people that they had sought to bring to Christ instead sent those missionaries to an early appointment with him. You've certainly heard about this at one point or another. It's perhaps the most prominent martyrdom of the 20th century when Jim Elliott named Saint and their associates died to bring the gospel to these people. Now, these uh, South American Indians, who the rest of the world knew as the Alca at the time, were among the most violent people groups in Ecuador. And the missionaries knew this. So they started out by exchanging items with them via baskets lowered from their airplane, and sort of over time it worked up to face-to-face -face meetings. But things just went a little bit wrong enough that the Maldani decided that instead of continuing to meet with them peacefully, the missionaries needed to go. Now, the uh, missionaries had seen the uh, warriors approaching from the air, but you, you, know, you can't tell just by looking at somebody from 800 feet in the air why their intentions are. So they were assuming that this would be a productive opportunity to meet with the locals. And obviously it didn't go to plan. It would seem insane for most people to go into the jungle and try to make peaceful contact with such enthusiastically murderous people as this. And that sentiment certainly ran high in the wake of their deaths. But the, the missionaries knew something that neither the Waldani warriors nor the general public in America knew. And that's going to bring us to our main text for today, John 11, 20 through 27. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So Lazarus is a friend of Jesus. He's just died. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. So 
Jesus had just gotten word that Lazarus was dying, and rather than coming to him immediately, stay where he was for two more days after that. Um, I think we've all heard the ending of the Lazarus story. You know, he comes back to life, and everyone's happy, and it's nice. And because of just how big the miracle is to raise someone from the dead, I think we tend to forget about the first part of the story. And so that's what we're going to concentrate on today. Um, but first, just a little bit of background on the book of John. It's a bit of an odd duck in comparison to the other three Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all seem to have borrowed from each other and maybe other common sources. There's as many opinions on this as there are people who have opinions. But John is mostly unique. Most of the sources are going to say John is written much later than the other Gospels. Most of the other three probably came show up between 40 to 60 AD. John is usually dated to around 85 AD. And this kind of shows what John addresses. Where Matthew's trying to persuade Jews that Jesus is the Messiah they were waiting for. Mark is kind of showing Christianity as a better version of a Roman religion with a better God and a more powerful one. And Luke is kind of trying to show that Christianity is innocent under Roman law. John is doing something else. He's defending the deity of Christ and the oneness of Christ. And this is necessary because of a number of false teachings which mostly show up after the first three Gospels are written. <coughs> One of them claimed that Jesus, as he appeared on earth, was just that, an appearance and nothing more, sort of a Jesus if he were a hologram. So John, to deal with that, needs to show that Jesus is physical, human, and divine at the same time. Another one of these problematic teachings that we have showing up is something called Gnosticism, which I would encourage you to research a bit more later on. It's kind of fascinating how much our culture is influenced by this without even knowing. But Gnosticism is pretty vague and difficult to understand, and that's on purpose. So I can't really explain the whole thing in just a minute or two. One of the few clear parts of this is a belief that salvation didn't come through works or faith or belief, but just having knowledge. That's why it's called Gnosticism. It comes from a Greek word meaning knowledge. You really didn't have to do anything, change anything about your life, or follow any teacher. You just had to have the knowledge. And so one of the things you'll also see in John is that knowledge without belief, without action, without response, is worse than ignorance. If you know better, then it would behoove you to do better. So with that bit of background out of the way, let's go back to John 11 and see what we can glean from Jesus' conversation with Martha. So back to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Remember, Jesus deliberately waited two days after hearing Lazarus was sick before he did anything. 
he let him die on purpose. Burials in the ancient Near East were done quickly. They didn't have any way to embalm the remains. And Israel is a warm place. I think you can put it together from there. Lazarus was not, as the one movie says, mostly dead. He was all dead. Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. I want to talk about Martha for a second. Because I think she gets pretty treated pretty unfairly because of the story in Luke 10 where Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet listening to him teach. And Martha's like, hey, Jesus, tell Mary to get to work. And that's, I think, most of what most we remember about Martha. But I want to point out the level of faith she has in this passage even if she really doesn't quite understand what's going on, faith is something that should stick out. Very few people in the Gospels ever show this kind of belief. So we know that Jesus was friends with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus before this, and so Martha probably knows Jesus can heal the sick. Doesn't seem like she was quite anticipating raising her dead, but she knows Jesus can heal the living. And so I can only begin to imagine how Martha would feel knowing that, you know, if Jesus had just been here a few days earlier, I would still have my brother. I think that's one of the parts of this we tend to gloss over and just rushing to the Lazarus come forth part. Some very, very real grief going on here. But she's going to find out that Jesus can do a lot more than she expects. And so, just your very first takeaway that I want to bring out is have, have some faith. Because God is capable of things that we can't even imagine. Moving on, Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And here you can kind of see that, again, Martha is not quite instantly understanding what Jesus really means. She knows Lazarus is going to be raised along with everyone else at the end of time. Um, and it doesn't seem like she's quite asking, asking Jesus to raise him. And you have to wonder, did she not know Jesus could raise Lazarus? Did she feel that even if he could, it wouldn't be appropriate to ask for that kind of thing? Um, what I've looked at seems to indicate it's probably more the first. This is probably just kind of like how we would say, oh, well, we'll see them again someday at a funeral. That's probably how Martha is reading this. And although Martha's response here comes out of a fair degree of confusion, I think there's still something that we can draw from these verses, and that is we will 
see our fellow believers again when Jesus comes back doesn't necessarily mean that we miss them any less now, the ones who have already gone on. But we do have that promise waiting for us in the end, and Jesus is going to explain that promise a little more here. Verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And I would uh, pose a question to everyone here as well. Do you believe this? Because the missionaries that I mentioned, they knew this. That's why they could go to Ecuador and reach out to a people they, you know, would expect to want to kill him. Because they read this verse too. Now Martha's going to understand what Jesus is talking about a little more soon. Even though she doesn't quite get it yet. But don't miss what Jesus is saying here. He isn't the guy who gives out resurrection and life and so on. He is the resurrection and the life. Now Verse 26 doesn't mean that if you believe in Jesus, you're never going to physically die because almost everyone since then who has believed in Jesus has died. He's talking about a little more spiritual life and, of course, the eventual eternal life that we can share with him. But verse 27 here is interesting. Yes, Lord, sure. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. And after this, we're going to see Jesus go to the tomb and call Lazarus out. And Lazarus is going to come out of the tomb. And that's sort of where the Lazarus story and our experience split because I'm sure most everyone here is We've had people die. We've been to funerals. And I asked, why? Why did it have to be this person? I know one family who lost their 14-year-old daughter to a seizure and I don't know how to make it all right. I don't think there is a way to make it better now. But we do know in the end, Jesus is the resurrection. He is the life. And even though, even though I die, I live in Christ. Even though we grieve now, eventually, from Revelation 7 chapter, and I'm reading verses 13 through 17. One of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? 
And where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So when Jesus says, he who believes in me will never die. This, this, I think, is what he's referring to. Even if our bodies die, we live in Christ. And this is also why we need to make sure that we are living in Christ. Having begun the race, we need to finish it. Because it is known that if you do not live for Christ, if you don't follow it, well, how will you take part in his resurrection and life? How will you live in him if you die? And if you do not believe, live by believing in him, then you will die. And so it is imperative that we continue to live in Christ, for Christ each day. And to bring that life, that resurrection, to as many people as we can. And so that leads me into just talking a little bit about what I'm going to be doing here. This will be my last Sunday here until at least December. Because next Sunday I'm going to be getting on an airplane and I am flying to Slovakia. I'll be working with a church there. I've shared some details about this before. But verse 25 and 26, Jesus is the resurrection. The one who believes in him will live. And how will anyone believe if they haven't heard? So I am going to share the gospel with the people in Slovakia. And I would challenge you all to share the gospel with the people here, with those you have opportunity to. Because it would be great to have as many people as possible 
never again hunger or thirst or have the sun beat down on them. So, with that said, let God guide you through the week and pray that he will show you who he wants you to talk with. And if you have not believed, if you have not set your heart right with God, then I encourage you to do so now. The opportunity is open. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the resurrection, for the life that you are and that you give to us. And we pray that you would enable each of us to share it with who you have prepared. That we would come to partake more and more in you. And that we would continue in the path that you've set out for us. And that we can enter into the promise that you have laid out in your word. Pray your blessing upon each person here and on everyone who we will interact with through this week. In Jesus' name, amen.